All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday service. My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, yeah, that's, that was super encouraging to hear. Uh, it was been encouraging, actually, even talking to a lot of you from the previous week. Uh, when I asked people how they're doing, they've been all mentioning, you know, I've been practicing science and solitude, and that's been very life-giving. I'm like, wow, we're actually practicing it. That's awesome. Because as a pastor and a preacher, you know what's going on sometimes when after a message is given. But uh, very life-giving to my soul. And I'm uh, just really thankful for this series that we're going through. Where we're not just learning with our heads, but we want to practice it with our hands. Um, we're continuing the series called uh, Practice the Way of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at a passage that talks about our next practice we'll be talking about. It's from the, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, chapter 4. So if you guys have uh, your Bibles or your apps, you can open there. Or if you have the programs, it's on the back as well. And so this is uh, from the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. And at our church, uh, one thing we do is when we read the passage from the Bible, we believe God is here and God is speaking through his word. And so we can all actually rise together as we read this passage. So Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 16 all the way to verse 21. So starting in verse 16, Luke writes, And he, referring to Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the reading of God's word. Can I pray for us? And we'll begin our time. Father, would you bless this time? May we recognize your presence is here and your spirit moves through the preaching of your word. And so we pray that your word would be preached today and we pray that your spirit would move in the hearts of your people here today. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. You may please be seated. So as mentioned, we're, we're going through a sermon series called Practicing the Way of Jesus, where we, our whole premise is if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And uh, we looked at the practices, which are back here. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of practices he's done, but there are eight particular practices that we're going to highlight uh, what Jesus, has, uh, his life, what it reflected. And last week, we focused, as we heard in testimony, on silence and solitude, this idea of coming before God in a very quiet place, uh, being still, uh, listening to the voice of God. Uh, and the reason why that's so important is because Jesus did this all the time. Uh, we live, and we need this so much because we live in this noisy, hyperactivity, hyperactivity environment that's always moving. Uh, but silence, solitude, it causes us just to kind of pause. And I mentioned last week, this is probably the most needed practice. And I was really blessed to talk about last week because it's a very unfamiliar practice. A lot of us, we never really heard of this practice before, nor have we ever done it. Um, Today, though, we're going to be talking about a very familiar practice, uh, but still needed. And the second practice we're focusing on is, uh, is Bible reading. Uh, and if you've been in the church, or if you've been a Christian, or if you've been following Jesus in your life, you'll know that this is something that is kind of Christianity 101. Uh, we're told as Christians we are to live our life based upon God's word. We are to make that the foundation of our life. We are to, ref- we are to use the Bible to guide us. Um, and, and we believe that because you know, the Bible talks about that. Psalm 119, for example, says the word of God, it is a lamp unto your feet. 
Deuteronomy 8.3 says the word of God is food for your soul. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says use the word to equip you for every good work. We believe the Bible, it is not just any type of text, but we believe that God speaks through the reading of God's word, and that's what we need in our lives. And if you grew up in the church, you would know that this is something that the church uh, emphasized. A lot of you, I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure a good percentage of you, you probably grew up in Awana. If you guys know what Awana is, it's the place where kids send their kids to become more Christian. Uh, there's a lot of trauma that happens sometimes in Awana that's there because you're forced to like, memorize Bible verses, but that's what you do. In Awana, you memorize uh, the Bible. When you get older or if you become a Christian later, what's one of the first things they tell you to do? Practice devotionals or do what they call QTs, quiet times, which means read your Bible. Make sure you read it. Uh, when you go to church and you want to get plugged in, it's like, hey, is there a Bible study here? That's kind of the, the, the big thing. There's not like a science and solitude study. It's a, it's a Bible study because we as a church, uh, we, that's kind of the main thing that's emphasized. Um, statistically, there's a reason for this too. Uh, the vice president of Lifeway, uh, he did a survey amongst all Christians. And one thing that he came to a conclusion is the number one indicator for spiritual growth in a Christian, it's Bible reading. That is like the singular practice that leads to the most measure of spiritual maturity and growth. Uh, Pastor David Platt, he describes like this, quote, if we want to know the glory of God, if we want to experience the beauty of God, and if we want to be used by the hand of God, then we must live in the word of God. And if you're in the church or if you're a Christian, you'd be like, yeah, I, I agree with all that. But here's a question that we have to ask ourselves. How many of you actually read your Bible regularly? Or how many of you have read your Bible every day? Or how many of you have read the entire Bible before? Has anyone here read the entire Bible? And if that's you, if you're like, if you said yes to any of those, just know you are a minority in the world. Of all of us, we grow up in the church and we think it's normal, but we have to kind of realize like the idea of a person basing their entire life on an ancient book thousands of years ago, it's kind of crazy. That's kind of a kooky idea. Like, I'm going to base my entire life on this book, this ancient book written thousands of years ago, and that's how I live. It's a crazy idea that's there if you didn't grow up in the church. But you know what's even crazier than that? An even crazier idea is you base your life, your entire life, on an ancient book that you've never read. Even that's crazy. You believe in all of this and you've never read it? You listen to preaching from this and you don't even know what I'm talking about? Why would you listen to it? Why would you base your life on this if you've never read it? And yet, this is the kind of irony and reality that Christians live today. Where a lot of us, we we have a Bible, we believe in the Bible, but we just don't read the Bible. Uh, Lifeway, in 2022, they did a a research uh, survey, and they said, you know, of all the printed books that are out there, the number one most printed book today, it's still the Bible. It is still the most printed book that's out there. It is one of the top downloaded apps, where if if you check someone's phone, the Bible will be an app that's there. Uh, In 85% of the homes in America, 85%, the average home has at least four Bibles. That's the norm. But... 39% of the people say they regularly open their Bibles. So less than half of the people who have a Bible will read it, not even all the time, just regularly, like four to five times a year. Less than half. 20% of the people say that they've read the entire Bible. Only 20%. So two out of 10 Christians have read the entire Bible, and only 10% read their Bible 
on a daily basis. And so what, if that's all true, or somewhat true, then the main exposure that Christians have to this ancient text that we base our life on, it's on Sunday like today, a day where the Bible is open for once a week. Or if you listen to a podcast, that might be something where the Bible gets exposed to you. Or if you uh, hear, read a devotional book, which has like two verses maybe, and that's kind of your exposure to the Bible. Um, and so what's actually happening for Christians today is we hear snippets of the Bible, but we don't really engage in the Bible itself. It's not something that's very present in our life, because it's hard. And I, under, I understand. Uh, just know, even though I'm a pastor, I, I get it. I get how it's hard, even though we say that this is central to me, it's hard to make it a regular practice. Because some of you, you want to read, you're a Christian, and you want to read your Bible, but your life is so busy like you work long hours, you ha- you're a parent to young kids, and after that long day is done, the last thing you want to do is read anything. Like you don't want to read anything, let alone the Bible. I completely get that. Or for some of us, you've tried it. You know, I tried reading the Bible, uh, but when I read it, I just don't get anything out of it. I mean, come on. Like what does Leviticus have to do with me being a new mom? Like, what do these sacrifices have to do with my struggling marriage? That's, I, I get it. Or for some of us, you have read the Bible, and the parts that you read, it's like, man, I have so many questions. It's so weird. Like, what am I even reading? Am I even reading this right? And there's all these weird stories that come up that makes it hard to engage with. Or for some of us, you are trying to read. You're kind of, you make it like this kind of habit that's there, but it's so inconsistent because, to be honest, you just don't like the Bible. Like, it's okay to say that. Like, we don't, we don't really like it. It's a chore. It, it, it's something that's laborious. And so I, I don't have the problem praying. Silence and solitude, that's great. But Bible reading, even though I have one, even though I believe in it, and even though I know I should read it, I'm just not. I'm just not. And I know that's true for most of us here. Uh, that's the one main thing that I always hear people struggle with in our church, is what, how's, how are you doing spiritually? I'm good, but I haven't read my Bible in a long time. It's been a long time. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about this familiar but this lost practice of Bible reading by looking at the life of Jesus. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive into Bible reading next year in early 2023. I want to do like a deep dive into like what the Bible is and how to approach it. But today, I just want to do a singular focus on, well, when it comes to the Bible, how did Jesus view the Bible? How did the, what role did the Bible play in his life? And if we are followers of Jesus, what role should the Bible play in our lives? And so I'm talking to those of us in this room who, if you're curious about Christianity, but the Bible, you just kind of struggle with that thing. Like you like church, you like even this Jesus person, but when you hear things with the Bible, I'd want you to consider how Jesus used the Bible. Let's see what does Jesus have to say. For those of you who you used to read your Bible back in high school or in college, but you haven't done it in a long time, this practice is long gone in your life, I hope today you could consider adopting it into your life again. And for those of you, you are reading your Bible, you're trying, but it's just really, it's really hard, it's a struggle, I hope today could encourage you to keep going, to keep going with it. So we're going to talk about the Bible, this practice of Bible reading, and we're going to talk about it in three ways. Number one, how Jesus viewed the Bible. Secondly, how are we to use the Bible? And third, how can we practice reading the Bible? So how Jesus viewed the Bible, how are we to use the Bible, and how can we practice reading it? So let's talk about the first point, how Jesus viewed 
the Bible. So back to the text that we read earlier in Luke chapter four, if you have it in your programs. Uh, this passage, it comes in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus, he's a rabbi, and he's walking around Galilee. He's teaching in different synagogues. And now he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And it says in verse 16, look what it says in the verse. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, the first century synagogue, when we hear that term, we tend to think it's like a Jewish church, which kind of, that's kind of close to it, where pretty much it's a, it's a town hall meeting in a city where the Jewish community would come, and they have this kind of service where they would uh, pray, they would sing a song, and then they'd read from the Torah, and then they'd read from one of the prophets, and then they would have some time of instruction. And that was the kind of basic structure of the synagogue. And so Jesus is there. And I used to think the reason why Jesus is here when I read this passage is because Jesus, he's the guest preacher. He was invited. They have an honorarium waiting for him. He's the homeboy preacher who's coming to give a, a message. And I, I used to think that, but actually that's not the way, I don't think that's actually what's going on. Because the way the synagogue would work is that if you come to synagogue, anybody could come and read. Anybody who's a, a, male, a male older person, they are able to come to read a passage from the scripture and to offer a word. And then all the elders of the church will decide, is that a valid teaching or not? And so Jesus, he didn't come as a, a guest speaker. He just came to synagogue. And what's even more interesting is in verse 16, if you look at the second sentence, it says, he went as was his custom. As was his custom, he went to synagogue. Meaning that Jesus would regularly go to synagogue this was a habit in Jesus' life where he would go to the synagogue. Now, the question is, well, why would Jesus go to synagogue? What is it about the synagogue that Jesus would go for? And the reason why Jesus would go to synagogue is he went for the same reason that any first century pious Jew would go, to read the Bible. That sounds strange to us. Like, what? Why would you go to synagogue to read the Bible? Because when we talk about, hey, read your Bible, Bible reading, isn't this the image a lot of us think about right here? This is the image, right? When we think read your Bible, we think it's me in a coffee shop with a latte and I have a sip of caffeine and I'm like breathing in, breathing out and I'm by myself and there's music playing and then all of a sudden, ah, open my Bible and I read a passage based on my Bible plan and I have a journal and I take notes and that's Bible reading for us. And that's why it's so hard because who does that? Who has time for that? That type of peace, that type of tranquility. We try to do it at home, and that works for a while, but you have kids, and it's just crazy. And so this idea of Bible reading, this, this is, this is a, I think it's so hard because this is the image that's there, and we think this is how Christians are suppo- supposed to read our Bible this way. And again, I do this all the time, by the way. I, there's beauty to that. But just know in the first century, when Jesus lived, nobody read their Bibles that way. You know why? Because nobody had Bibles. There was no printing press. We take for granted the idea that we all have Bibles. In the first century, when they said, read your Bible, you had to go to synagogue because there was no printing press. And in fact, even if there was a printing press, no one could read the Bible because nobody read. It was not a literate culture. Literacy developed later on when the printing press came out. And so when you talk about reading your Bible to a first century Jewish person, what they would think is, oh yeah, it's us coming together as an assembly in synagogue, and we hear the Bible being preached. We hear the Bible being read publicly. That's why the public reading of scripture was so huge back in Jesus' day. And so that now begs the question, which is, okay, so you go to synagogue so you can hear the Bible and you could be exposed to it because there's no other place you could really hear it. Why does Jesus go to synagogue? 
Isn't Jesus God? Doesn't he already know the Bible? Why does he go? Uh, you, you guys know The Matrix, the movie? If you're, if you're younger, you might have heard of that movie. But for us older folks, you know The Matrix, right? And The Matrix, it works where if you want to learn anything, like Kung Fu or anything like that, or how to ride a helicopter, you download it into your head, and you kind of have this little moment where you download it, you go, I know how to do it. And you just go and you do Kung Fu, you ride a helicopter. I think for a lot of us, when we think about Jesus, we think Jesus had a Matrix-style download of the Bible in his brain as soon as he was born. As soon as he started speaking, he's like, the book of Isaiah says this. And we just kind of presume Jesus was born with the Bible ingrained in his brain because Jesus is God. But as we've been saying in our church the past few weeks, he is fully God, but he's also fully human, meaning that he experienced everything that human beings like you and I have gone through in order to represent us at the cross. And so that's the case. Jesus, he didn't just come with a downloaded Matrix-style idea of the Bible where he already knew it, but he had to learn it. He would read it. He would practice it. And we see it throughout the Gospels. You guys remember that, in that story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is a child and his parents take him to temple and all of a sudden Jesus is gone. He's a 12-year-old boy and they're like, where's Jesus? Like, where did he go? And in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, this source says it once. It says, uh, after three days, they found him in the temple, meaning Jesus, he's a 12-year-old boy, and he was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus was learning the Bible. Now, he was a profound student. He had his answers amazed the teachers, but he was learning it. He was asking questions. He was listening to what the scribes had to say. And the reason why is because in verse 52, just a few verses later, Luke says this, quote, And Jesus, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In other words, Jesus, the reason why he knows the Bible isn't because of the matrix. Jesus knows the Bible because he made it his custom to learn the Bible. His life was saturated with scripture because he practiced reading it. It was something that he was accustomed to. And most likely, Jesus, the reason why he was able to spit out scripture all the time throughout his ministry, it wasn't because he had a Bible in hand, because no one had a Bible back then. He memorized the entire scripture. That's most likely what's going on. That's why all the pictures, those paintings that you see of Jesus that on hanging on the walls, even though they weren't there, they try to depict Jesus. He's never carrying a Bible preaching. There's no Bible. It's just in his life. This is the world that he lived in. He was just into the Bible. One author named Christopher Wright, he says it like this, quote, talking about the Bible, these are the words that Jesus read, the stories that he knew. These were the songs that he sang. These were the depths of wisdom and revelation and prophecy that shaped his whole view of life, the universe and everything. This is where he found his insights into the mind of his father God. Above all, this is where he found the shape of his own identity and the goal of his own mission. You know, one thing I love learning about are random things that people are passionate about. It can be the most random thing, but if you're passionate about it, hmm, like I want to, like tell me more. For example, you know, I know a lot of you are into climbing. I do not care about climbing at all. Like that does not interest me. Like people have invited me, you want to rock climb? Like why would I want to climb a rock? Like that just doesn't make sense to me. But then there's this documentary that came out called Free Solo, and they are like passionate about rock climbing. When I watched it, I was like, rock climbing's pretty cool. Like, I dig it. Like, I see why people are into it. Uh, you know, I, I like uh, um, pork, uh, pork bellies. Uh, I like, especially Korean pork bellies. Like, Koreans, they know how to cook pork. I like it, but do you ever, there's this Netflix documentary called Pork Belly Rhapsody, and it's about these Korean cooks where they don't just like pork belly, they love it. And they go 
deep into like how to make pork the most proper way to dig a hole, you have to bury the pork, you have to use certain type of coal. And I'm like, wow, pork is fascinating. Or here's the most random thing of all. You ever watch Speed Cubers? The documentary about the Rubik's Cube? My goodness, the Rubik's Cube, I'm like, okay, that's a kid thing. But you see this documentary and these kids are like passionate about the Rubik's Cube. So passionate that after that watching the documentary, I have a Rubik's Cube. And I started playing with it. It's just fascinating, the most random things that people are passionate about, and you see the beauty of what their passion is. And I'm fully convinced when you look at the life of Jesus, if he was passionate about one thing, he was passionate about the Bible. He was passionate about this, to the point where I dare say if he were to make a Netflix documentary, it'd be about the Bible. Because when you... When you hear and see the way Jesus lived and the way he kind of practiced his life and how he talked to people, the Bible was just everywhere. And when you see his insights into the Bible, it's very fascinating what Jesus' view of the Bible is. For example, throughout Jesus' life, you can know that for Jesus, he believed in the truthfulness of the Bible. He firmly believed that the Bible was true. Throughout his ministry, he always constantly referred to stories in the Bible. He talked about Adam and Eve as not that fictional people, but they're just real people. It's a real story. He references Noah. He references Abraham. He references Moses. He references David. He even references Jonah, who was swallowed by a fish for three days. And Jesus treats it like, yeah, that happened. This is real. He affirms the law. He repeats the promises of the Old Testament. And Jesus read the same Bible that we have, and he believed in all of it. And he regularly read through it constantly. And Jesus, he would read this, and he wouldn't think, wow, this, this part must be fictional. This part you could kind of take allegorically. He saw it as truth. Like Newton's law, like Martin Luther King's civil rights movement, the Bible was a, sto- a true depiction of what reality is. And it's because Jesus read it. You know, um, sometimes uh, there's a, a book that I would read, and I'm like, you know, this book... It's really good because it's, it just, it's just true. Like I tell every new parent, you know what book you should read if you're pregnant? Read this book called The Happiest Baby. Or it's a DVD version, so if you don't like reading, re- watch the DVD. When you watch that, it's truth. Because the doctor's whole premise is there's a, when, you're, when you have a baby, after the baby is born, they're crazy. And the first three months is crazy. And the reason why is because that's actually the fourth trimester. And you should treat your baby like the fourth trimester. So he'll say crazy things like, if your baby's going crazy, you know what you gotta do? Go to the baby's ear and go shh, like super loud. Like make a loud sound and your baby will stop crying. And when I heard that from a friend, I'm like, that's crazy. Like, why would you do that? It works. It works. Because I read the book, I watched the DVD, I'm like, oh my gosh, he knows what he's talking about. And all of you who doubt him, you never read it. You never watched it. But if you watch that thing, it's truth. A lot of us, when we hear stories of the Bible, we go, how does that make sense? That sounds so weird. What, the Bible says that? And I really think Jesus' main response would be, have you read it before? Have you read it? Because Jesus has read it thoroughly his whole life. He's memorized this thing. And it's true to him. And if you read it, he, he testifies it's true. Not only is it true to Jesus, but the Bible, when you see his, ministry, his life, you'll see that it's also authoritative, authoritative to him. Meaning that this is the final word, the final say of how we should view reality. Because throughout Jesus' ministry, when he would talk to people, he would always appeal to the scriptures. And he's Jesus. He could just say, oh, this is what I think, but he's no, what does the scriptures say? 
So for example, there's a story in Matthew where you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees debating about something and they want to trap Jesus. And if you, you know, the Pharisees, if you want to have like a very simplistic understanding of who they are, they're like the, the right-wing people, the conservatives, the Republican Party of the first century. And the Sadducees, they're like the progressives, the more blue, the more like liberal party of the first century. And they're debating about something and they're asking Jesus what he thinks about this question of the resurrection. And when Jesus hears the way they're talking about it in verse, uh, Matthew 22, verse 29, this is what Jesus says. He says, quote, Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you neither know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus said, not you're wrong because this is what I think. But Jesus says, you're wrong because the scriptures say something different. Because for Jesus, this was the final authority for him. And for a lot of us, we have to ask ourselves, is that anywhere near our periphery when we think about modern issues? I had so many conversations with people about gun rights these days, gun control, what we should do, about Roe v. Wade, about gender identity. And the main thing people would say is, well, this is what my opinion is. This is what I think. I read this on Reddit, and Reddit said this. And again, all, all significant, all good. But how often do we think about, what does the Bible say about this? Does, if the Bible says something, do we actually appeal to that? Because this is actually Jesus' go-to move. His go-to move is there's a final say that has something to say that we should all consider is the Bible because there's something authoritative about it to him. But most importantly, for, throughout Jesus' life, the Bible wasn't just truthful to him. It wasn't just authoritative. But for Jesus, it was filled with power. It was the, it was the one thing that would minister to him most when he was especially going through suffering. Do you remember in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we talked about the story a lot, where Jesus, he's in the wilderness, and the devil comes to tempt him, and how does Jesus respond? Through scripture. He just repeats scripture to the devil. Or when Jesus is at the cross, dying on the cross, do you remember what Jesus, what Jesus said? When he's on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And while there's truth about the idea of what the pain that he was experiencing, but scholars know he was also quoting scripture there. That's Psalm 22 that he was quoting. And so for Jesus, scripture was not just something that's true or authoritative, but it was very personal that ministered to his soul because it had power to minister to his suffering. And for a lot of us, when we suffer, we turn to things like Netflix or to a night out with friends or to a therapist, and we're trying to cope with that, but we're still tired and weary because those things have limited power. But for Jesus, he relied upon the scriptures because he saw that this had the power to minister deep into his wounded soul. And that's why, that's how Jesus viewed the Bible. Jesus was obsessed with the Bible. He was saturated with the Bible. And it wasn't matrix style. He learned the Bible. He grew into the Bible. It soaked into his daily practice. And it should soak into ours too. There's a movie called Get Out by Jordan Peele. I'm not sure if you guys have seen it. It's a horror film, so don't watch it if you don't like that stuff. Um, but Jordan Peele, he, he was the director. And he, the reason why he made it was he wanted to make a unique horror film. Something that was different than the typical horror movie. And what he did was, when he decided to make this movie, he actually recruited actors and screenwriters and so forth, and he asked all of them, before they start production, to all watch these seven to eight movies that Jordan Peele recommended. And the reason why Jordan Peele wanted them to watch was these movies shaped his view of cinema. It, it's the influences of his life, and it's going to be the way and the tone that he's going to direct Get Out. And if you, the only way you can understand what Jordan Peele is doing is if you also watch those eight different movies. And so he made them all watch it before they start production so they know what to do, so that these movies would also shape them as they went into production. And in a similar way, this is why as Christians, why is this something that we should be central with the Bible? It's not just something we know about, but it's shaping our lives. It's because this shaped Jesus' life. 
If you want to follow Jesus, then you need to know the book that shaped Jesus most, which was scripture. And the only way that we're able to really follow the way of Jesus is if we practice the way of Jesus and he would constantly practice knowing his Bible and letting this shape his story. And that leads to the second point, which is, well, why? Like, what, what, was, what was so useful about this to Jesus? Like, what actually happens when you read this story? And that leads to the second point. How should we use the Bible? Back to Luke chapter 4, the passage in our program. You know, when Jesus, when he went to synagogue, uh, he read from, it, it says he read from the book of Isaiah, and that's the passage that he went through. And it's interesting. If you look at verse 16 again. Look what it says. It says, um, verse 16 and 17. And it was his custom when he went to synagogue to the Sabbath day, where he stood up to read, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, quick question. Like, why was Jesus reading from Isaiah? Why is Isaiah in a scroll? Uh, like, like, what's going on here? And one thing that we should consider is that the Bible that Jesus was reading at that time, it was similar content, but a totally different format. Meaning that the Bible in, the, in Jesus' time, it was only the Old Testament, and it was meant to be a... a a bunch of articles, a bunch of manuscripts or, or t- scrolls that were written by different authors over a span of a thousand different years. So it's not like J.K. Rowling writing Harry Potter with a span of 20 years or so. It's like thousands of years by different authors writing different stories. And in fact, the Old Testament, it wasn't even called the Old Testament back in Jesus' day. The, the Bible was actually called uh, something called the Tanakh. That's what it was known as. And Tanakh stands for three different types of writings of the Bible. It was, the T is the Torah, which is the first five books. It's the law. The second, the N, it's uh, the prophets. And it talks about Joshua and Samuel and Isaiah and so forth. And the third book, it is uh, the writings, which is uh, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and and so forth. And these were the literary works. This is the, the Bible that Jesus would read. This is what he was exposed to. And they believed in the first century that this is how God speaks, is through this written word. Now, what's interesting, though, so these are the, this is the Bible, written by every author's different, thousands of years, and yet the Jewish people, what they did was they combined all these scrolls into one. It's known as the Tanakh. And you have to ask, well, why did they put the scrolls together? Like, why did the Jews make this into one book? And we kind of take that for granted. But there's a reason why, because for the Jews, they actually saw that all these different scrolls written by different authors by thousands of years, it's all telling one story. It's one epic story of a God who plans to bring beauty and order in a world of chaos. That's the that's that's moving needle. And what Jesus was reading in Isaiah chapter 61, which is in our verses here, this is the culmination of that story. Jesus was reading the ending of what, we have in the, what he had in Tanakh. And the story is about the way the Bible story goes in the Old Testament is there's going to be this leader who comes, who initiates God's plan to bring order, to remove chaos, and to bring us peace with God. And Jesus, in verses 17 and 21, look what he says. He reads the actual ending for us. And this is from Isaiah 61, but Jesus reads, And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And everyone who hears this, like this is God's picture of what God is doing. This is the story of life. And God's gonna one day usher in this moment where someone comes and he brings liberty to those of us who are oppressed, who are struggling with the sin of this world. And everyone would know that, and this has yet to happen. We're waiting for this leader to come. And this is where Jesus shocks everybody. After he reads this, 
Jesus tells them that this is happening now. Because everyone, they would actually see that we're waiting for this moment, this next slide here. We're waiting for the story to continue. And Jesus, he is telling them, the story is continuing through me. Look what it says in verse 20 and 21. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, there's a lot to say about this, but I just want to harp on one thing. This is why Jesus read his Bible. Jesus, the way he would read his Bible, it was a story. A story of reality, of what God is doing, and it culminated in the life of Jesus. And that's why Jesus, when he would read his Bible, he saw it as a way that it's talking about, and that kind of tripped me out. Like at one point, Jesus was like, this is talking about me. Like this is all about me. And he lived his life based upon this story. Like he would constantly refer to the scripture says, the scripture says. In Luke 18, verse 31, Jesus says, then he took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, we're gonna go to Jerusalem where I'm gonna die. And all these things which are written through the prophets by the son of man will be accomplished. The reason why he went to Jerusalem is because he knows this is the story. I'm following God's story. In Matthew 26, verses 54, Jesus says, how then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which says that it must happen this way? And in Luke 24, verse 45 to 46, he tells his disciples, he lets them know, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. See, for Jesus, this is why Bible reading is so precious to him. It told him the story of what God had planned for his life. And he would... Therefore, go and navigate the world, not with fear, not with anxiety, but with strength and with courage. Because for Jesus, he knew that despite the rejection that he experienced in this world, he was God's beloved son. Because that's the story that he believed in. Despite the difficult circumstances in his life, he knew that God, the Father, had a plan for him in this world. And despite the suffering that he would experience, he knew that what awaited him was glory. And that was a story that just captured Jesus' mind. And it gave him strength to enter into this world. That's why I think for a lot of us, we have a problem reading the Bible because we don't see it as a story. We see the Bible as this, not this story, but this encyclopedia of facts. Uh, when I was a kid, this is, and I think if you were a kid, if you're older, everyone knew you grew up with this. You guys, is this familiar to you? If you, do, if you don't have this, you are blessed because I, my parents, they somehow talked to all these other Asian parents and they're all convinced if you want your kids to go to UCLA, they got to read this encyclopedia set. So we had this encyclopedia set that was like thousands of dollars. And my parents told me, hey, you need to start reading this to go to UCLA. And so I'd read it, letter A, and it was just hard. Because you're not supposed to read an encyclopedia every day. You know what encyclopedias are for? It's a reference book. It's when you need something. It's when you're doing a research paper on something. It's when you are, have a question about something. Then you go to the encyclopedia, and that's the only reason you'll go to the encyclopedia. In case of an emergency, in case it's needed. And that's how we treat the Bible. The Bible is an encyclopedia for us. When we're in trouble, when we have a deep question, we'll go to the Bible because it's meant to be this encyclopedia and resource of facts for us that's helpful to know. And in the meantime, we are living a totally different story than what the Bible is saying. For some of us, we are living out, we're reading our Bibles as a reference point, but you're living out the secular story where, hey, life is short, you're going to die one day, so make the most of life. Go to the craziest vacation spots, live out and buy the nicest places because this is your one life to live. And we, we kind of bought into that. For some of us, we have the romantic story that's in our brain where I'm going through hardship, but it's all leading to this one road, her or him, that person I meet. It's all going to lead to that because we have the romanticized Victorian age type of story in our brains. 
For some of us, we have a nihilistic story. It's like, life sucks, everything sucks, the world's going to burn, so it sucks anyways, and that dictates how we view everything in life. And for most of us, though, you have more of a family trauma story, where what happened with your family and your childhood, it dictates what's happening now. You don't believe in marriage because your parents had a messed up marriage. You don't believe in hope and good people because you're surrounded by bad people. And it just shapes your worldview. We have all these stories that we're living by, and this is why the Bible, what it's meant to be, is an alternate story for us. An alternate story of a greater reality that you have a different script that you're supposed to live by. Where, yes, life is short, but the Bible tells us, but the story of the Bible is, but this world is not our home. It's actually a doorway to something greater. Yes, romantic beauty is a very beautiful thing. Marriage is beautiful, but your ultimate hope, it's not your wedding day with your spouse. Your ultimate hope is the wedding supper of the Lamb when he shall come again. Yes, life sucks sometimes, and the Bible dignifies how sucky life can be. But it tells us there's a story of a God who redeems our suffering. And it's not to waste, but he's doing something beautiful in the midst of it. And yes, we have broken families and messed up relationships. But the story the Bible tells us, but God, he wants to adopt us into a new family called his church and his people. And all this is culminated through the person of Jesus Christ, who came to redeem us and came to invite us to join this story. I to, before I go to the last point, just a personal confession, I love the Bible. Uh, I, I'm kind of a deep down Bible nerd. Uh, I, I feel almost ashamed sometimes. It's weird, in the church I feel ashamed, but I'm like, no, I love the Bible. Like, I, I read it every day, and it's not because I'm a pastor. I read the Bible once I became a Christian, because all these Christians told me that's what you're supposed to do, and I read it every day. I later on found out those guys, they don't read their Bibles every day, but I started reading my Bible every day, and the more I read it, I'm like, you know, the story, if you see the Bible, again, as an encyclopedia, it's lame. Like, it's just like the world, those encyclopedia sets. But when you see it as a story of how it presents life and how real it is about suffering and how redemptive it is about the brokenness of mankind but what God has planned for it, man, it's not this huge burden to read all the time. It's actually life-giving where this life that I'm living is not it, but there's something more and deeper that's there. And it really burdens me when I know that people in our church, this is something that's just not in our lives. It's not there. We're not living the story. I worry for uh, the husbands who try to lead their marriage and they lead it mainly through practical means and through romance. And again, that's all good, but there's no desire. Well, I'm reading my Bible. It's not even there in my marriage and we don't even talk about that. Or about dads or future dads where you want to lead your family and be a father to your child and you want to teach them how to go camping and sports, but the Bible is just like gone in your brain. It's not even there. And the main reason I'm burdened by it is not for this religious thing, but your story, it ends up looking so different than the Bible story because you don't even know what the story is because you're living this different type of story in your life and in your family. And I have this deep burden that's not there. And I understand why it's hard. It's really hard. It's one person in my community group says, when I'm busy, the first practice to go is Bible reading because it's hard. And so if this is something that we need, if this is something that's life-giving for our souls, if this is something that Jesus needed, how do we practice reading our Bibles? Now, that's the last point I want to talk about. We're going to talk about this a lot more next year, I promise. But for us, I know it's hard because when you hear a sermon like this or any sermon about reading your Bible, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be like, I should read my Bible. I'm a dad or I'm a husband or I'm a wife or I'm a mom. I should read my Bible. And you're going to go home and you're going to download a Bible reading app and you'll read. And then next Sunday, you stopped because it's hard. And I get it. It's very hard. And we think it's because of willpower. We think it's because I just thought sacrificial enough. 
Uh, but in reality, I think it's because we don't know how to read our Bibles. We're not really approaching it the way I think we're supposed to. And so if I could just give three practical suggestions of how we can make Bible reading something in our life. Here's the first one. This might be the, the most important one. <laughs> to read our Bibles, we must do, number one, we have to read our Bibles with other people. Um, for a lot of us, the image of Bible reading is this far too often, right? Go read your Bible in your coffee shop. Go read it on your, on your desk in your room. And that's why it's so hard. Because we think that's what Bible reading is primarily about. In the ancient world, again, nobody had their Bibles. Nobody even had an app. Nobody had commentaries. And yet they were the most literate Bible people probably in a, in, compared to today. How did they all know their Bible so well? How did they practice reading it? Because they read it together. They would gather in synagogue. They would be together in community reading their Bibles. And that's far more powerful a tool than any commentary, than any Christian book, than any type of person that's there. It's the people that you read it with together. We've got to do that as a community. Personally, I'm reading through the entire Bible right now. I'm on 2 Samuel. Wild stuff. It's wild stuff. And I'm doing it consistently. And you know why? Because I'm reading with other people. I have a group of guys. We read it. Uh, we made a Bible plan together. We create like this Excel sheet where we check in saying, hey, I read it. When someone doesn't read it, we go, oh, you pagan, you didn't read it. We just tease each other. And we're just you know, joking around because this is our way of being accountable. And I, I know for me, they could say other things, but for me, this has been the most easiest Bible reading plan in my life. Not because of the tools that we're using, not because of the calendar. It's I have other people that I'm reading with together. And for some of us, that might be the, some, the reason why it's so hard for you. You're doing it alone too much. It's, it's, you can't do it by yourself. It's like losing weight. Like you lose weight better when you work out together. But by yourself, it just fades away. And so one practical thing is, hey, grabbing two to three people together, go, hey, I have never read the Bible. You want to do this with me? And you have far more of a better chance of going through it than by yourself. And we know that can be hard to even find people. So as a church, that's our plan, is we want to create groups, and you'll see signups in the near future, of people gathering together, two to four people, three to four people, reading our Bibles together. And so if that's someone that's you and you want to do this, join, watch out for that. We want to read the Bible together. Here's the second way we could practice reading our Bible. Don't just read it with others. Read it repeatedly. Keep reading it, keep reading it, keep reading it, keep reading it. You know one of my, the, the books I hated the most in high school? I hated The Great Gatsby. Like all my teachers made me read the, or I had one teacher that made me read The Great Gatsby. I was like, this book is so stupid. What's that green light? Like, what's their, what are these rich people? Like, it was just a lame book. I'm an English major in college. I read it again. I'm like, this is a lame book. We're studying in college now. I became a, an educator and I taught Great Gatsby. And I was like, this is lame. Why am I teaching to the kids? And I kept reading it like the fourth time. I'm like, The Great Gatsby is one of the greatest American novels of all time. It is amazing. And the reason why it's so amazing, and the reason why I didn't like it the first time, it's so deep. Like the deepness of what the book is talking about, about life and regret and aging and time and love, it is such a deep book that it's no wonder nobody likes it the first time. It's too deep for you. We're too shallow. But the deeper you get in life, and I think that's part of it, I got older and I started appreciating what it was saying the more and more I understood Gatsby and the beauty of it and why it's considered one of the greatest novels that our teachers make us read because it was meant to be read multiple times. The Bible for a lot of us, we dismiss it because we read it once, God, it's so lame. Oh, it's so hard. It's designed to be hard. It's designed to be challenging because it's designed to be read multiple times because it's a deep book. It talks about some deep stuff, the deepest questions of life. 
Tim Mackey, who's in charge of the Bible Project, I love the way he describes it. He says this, quote, the Bible is the kind of text that is meant to be read, reread, reflected, and pondered over the course of a lifetime. It's actually designed that way. It's designed not to give its depths on the first read-through. You can just read it on a surface level, but the way that the whole Bible is designed is to invite you into a whole different way of seeing the world. And that's why it's a lifetime journey. It's not an easy read because it's meant to go deep into your life. And so if you're discouraged because it's hard, you're on the right track. It's supposed to be hard because we are meant to get deep as the Bible is getting deep in life. So read and reread and reread. And you don't need a seminary degree to do this. You just expose yourself to reading it. And here's the last encouragement of how we can read our Bibles. Don't just read of others. Don't just keep reading it, but make space in your life. Make space in your life to read it. Two weeks ago, I went camping with my kids for the very first time. I never went camping before, so we had no idea what we were doing. But I knew one thing is we have to just have the basics of survival. And I told our kids, hey, each of you, you know, we, we have limited space in the van. So whatever you want to bring, just put in your backpack and we're going to go. So they packed up their backpacks. But then two weeks ago, it was actually raining. So we're like, oh my gosh, we need to pack our sweaters. So I told my son, hey, put the sweater in your jacket. And he said, I have no room in my backpack. And I was like, okay, and I took out his backpack, and he's right, he had no room. I opened it up, there's this giant Godzilla toy that was in there, this giant pillow that was there, all these Transformer toys. I'm like, you know, you don't have any room, but you gotta take one of these out, because you need your jacket. You need your jacket, otherwise you're really gonna struggle when we go camping. And for a lot of us, that's us in life. You don't have space in your life, you're right. Bible reading, it's tough. You have no space, and the only way you could do it, you gotta take things out of your life. Because you need the Bible in your life. You need the story in your life. You need the same thing that kept Jesus not weary, but him full of life. And that's hard. It takes sacrifice. But we have to take out that extra episode of Netflix that we watched. We have to play games 10 minutes less than we normally play. We have to wake up maybe 10 minutes earlier than we normally wake up. But if you keep your current life right now and you try to add this, you're not going to do it. It takes a reorienting of our life in order to make space for God's word to speak into it. And this is what we need, though. This is how we do the practices. This is what it looks like to adopt the life of Jesus. This is what it looks like to carry his yoke. And Jesus promises, when you do this, you will find rest for your souls. And so as I invite the praise team up to come, I know for a lot of us here, we have an awkward relationship with the Bible. And that means we have an awkward relationship sometimes with God and how he speaks. But we can take a moment to pray, to even reflect upon God's voice in our life. We can reflect upon our habits. We reflect upon the burdens that we feel when it comes to even thinking about how we can live the life of Jesus. Wherever you're at, we just want to pause, to pray, to confess our skepticism, our fatigue, our tired, our tiredness. Uh, but that's the Lord to help us. Whether it be finding people that we could reach out to, whether it be not giving up, but to keep digging into this deep well called the scriptures, or for us to continue to make sure that in the midst of our busy lives, that we could sacrifice and make time to follow the way of Christ. And so we can take a moment to pause and just confess where we're at, and then afterwards we'll sing a song of praise. So let's, let's pray, and then uh, I'll, pray, I'll pray for us, and we'll sing.